You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifled barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue Q line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit Tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your cue. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 67, Kevin Vistason of the Deer Hunter Podcast. Nick is joined by fellow Michigan deer hunter and podcaster Kevin Vistason. Kevin hangs his hat on the idea of work hard and hunt harder, embracing the old school yet educating on new tactics. Nick and Kevin have a good heart-to-heart about our current conditions of needing to build our hunting community and not fall into the traps that fracture it. Kevin also talks about his favorite venison meals, what's the first cuts to go out of his freezer, and what are the last to leave. And can you really get 10 tacos out of a pound of ground? All this coming up on the next episode of Huntivore. Well, hey, folks. We got a beautiful Wednesday. I tell you, I'm already, I'm already cracked into my second beer here. I went with a heavy one. Went with a Founders Porter. Uh, it was a good day at school, but it was definitely an involved day at school. But tonight, I'm uh, settling down with someone who's salt of the earth. 
I tell you, a true blue collar. And in fact, he rolls around in an airstream most of the year, or at least during deer season. Folks, if you've listened to a bunch of podcasts, I'm sure you've come across the Deer Hunter podcast. And I happen to be sitting here digitally tonight with the host, Kevin Vistason. Kevin, thank you so much for uh, taking an hour out of your evening. And uh, have you uh, popped the top on a brew this evening? I do. Uh, I'm I'm going with the uh, tried and true Paps Blue Ribbon, but uh, I'm kind of regretting that now you had to bring um, that delicious. Did you say Founders Porter? Yeah, it's just their straight porter. But uh, yeah, oh, that's a, a timeless beer, dude. It's a good nightcap where I can sit down. As uh, my good buddy Josh puts it, it's it's the quiet one. You know, you've already had a few rowdies, and now it's time to start settling down getting deep so yeah i popped something a little harder but at the same time you know there's something about that multi goodness from a gold blue ribbon that uh <laughs> that'll just settle you down Dude, you sound like uh infomercial for for them there really you could get some business from them they had me <laughs> got me sold on it you know it's a true story we uh grew up down the road you know there was a party store gas station you know market it's uh been a lot of things over the years but they've always had gas and uh some small assortment of groceries and beer and it was probably the only store that was within you know five seven and a half miles some directions and so it was very often that store that would pass last before we got back to our farm when we i grew up on a, a small farm in southeast michigan that was bought by my grandfather and my father was the uh, second generation of the farm there. And then I guess my brother and I were the third generation to grow up on it. And uh, they uh, grew sod and it was a sod farm and a tree farm. And then we did landscaping and irrigation. So that, that's what I grew up doing and started working with my dad when I was 12 and worked with my dad. So I was 23, actually worked for my dad for uh, 11 years something something along those lines and so uh where i'm going with all this is that store had uh you know they started to get the craft beers in here years ago and they started building a nice selection which is real cool because we were we were really getting into the craft beers you know so some of them are so damn good and uh we would race you know within the limits of the law on the road of course but uh we would (laughs) race we would race from the job site to that store because it would oftentimes if two or three guys were ahead of you, you weren't getting a six pack of, uh, of that Porter, that delicious Porter, the best one that they're going to have, you know? And so, uh, it was, there was quite a, you know, some interesting, um, confrontations, you know, guys racing through the parking lot to like <laughs> get into that store to get that beer. So it's, uh, it's still a, super popular beer with like me my brother and my dad like if you show up with a, a six pack of uh you know founders porter it's um man you're not gonna have a bad time what a, what a delicious beer it's a good beer to uh it complements wild game nicely and it's actually a really nice beer to cook with too it is it is and man yeah we're gonna simmer on down into some of this stuff um but i want to get into a little bit first as we're as we're getting to um talk about kevin a little bit um deer hunter podcast this was a brainchild of yours 
roughly five years ago. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah, you are. Just uh, just decided one day that you're like, man, we, we sit around, we talk about deer hunting all the time. Why don't we just start recording this? Is that kind of how you get the idea to start it? Yeah, it was basically, I guess, the the root of it or the seed, the way that it got planted is that, you know, talking about growing up on a farm with my grandfather and my father, and they gave us access and exposure to being in the woods and to hunting. And so the seed for me was planted very young. Um, Hunting means uh, so much to me, you know, and uh, one of the things that I'm learning as I go doing this, it's super interesting, right? Just talk to a ton of people have a giant network now like i don't care if anybody ever wanted to start a platform and do anything like this i would i would uh i would encourage them to do so even if your only thing that you do is like build a community you know guys do it there's the ham uh, ham radio community and guys have different kinds of communities and the hunting community communicates well through like podcasts. I think it's one of the best platforms for us because uh, it's complex. Hunting's super complex. Pictures often do an awful job um, of explaining what this is. So podcast is such such an excellent medium for hunting content. And for, if nothing else, uh, I would advise people to do that, to build you know, build a community. And I've always been a very social person. I've always liked to have my friends around, be around people, like be at the crowded spot when I was a teenager. I've always wanted to be around people. And so I guess this, you know, this was kind of a way to do that. I started listening to podcasts. Originally, I grew up here in um, southeast suburbs of Detroit. I live about a I grew up about maybe an hour and a half outside north of the the city, right on the lake, right off the lake, uh, essentially Lake St. Clair. And then um, there was a a radio show that we used to listen to called the Drew and Mike show. Anybody that's from the Detroit area, probably a lot of people in general will know of Drew and Mike. They were on the radio here for geez, over 20 years as a popular morning show. And they had Joe Rogan on their radio show when the UFC was coming to Detroit. And I remember, I don't know what I was doing. I just gotten home from work or something. And I caught, um, I caught the end of this radio show and they were interviewing Joe Rogan and they were talking about his podcasts and they were kind of, you know, they were asking him some honest questions because they had been in radio for a long time. And this was, you know, we're going back years now. So they were like, you know, why get out of radio and get into podcasting? And, you know, Joe Rogan, and he, he's telling those guys, you know, like why he values podcasting uh, as a, a platform over, you know, radio. And basically, you know, you can control your advertising and your revenue and like your, your own thing. And you like, you hit numbers that are just dwarf radio shows. And, and he's proven to be able to do that, right? Um, he's got one of the biggest platforms that's ever existed. That guy probably talks to more people, a larger community. Uh, you know, I don't know. It'd be interesting to know the numbers, but I mean, the way that he communicates with that amount of people that he does is, uh, 
you know, it's exponential. And so he, he, I listened to a Joe Rogan podcast and it just happened to be him and Brian Callen were just hunting with Ranella. They were somewhere, I don't know where they were. They were hunting uh, sick deer, British Columbia or something along those lines. You know, they just got back from this deer hunt. And so what a outstanding first podcast for me to turn into for my my first podcast ever, you know, to listen to uh, Joe Rogan and his buddy Brian Callen talk about being deer hunting with Stephen Ranella on a, you know, a week-long hunt or whatever up there in BC. And I was like, soul, like, I'll never not listen to podcasts again. Like, that's going to consume a large part of my life. I can see this, right? So Rogan threw the hook in me. And then uh, from there, really, I started getting into deer hunting podcasts and hunting podcasts in general. I was really, you know, listening to all the different hunting podcasts. There really wasn't much. You know, Mark Kenyon obviously was pretty well into Wired to Hunt. That's actually how I found hunting podcast was his ad coming across a Facebook, uh, a Facebook advertisement. And, you know, what is this wired to hunt podcast with Mark Drury? And I'm like, well, that sounds like something I absolutely love uh, to listen to as I'm driving home on this crisp October day. You know what I mean? And so I was instantly just hooked to hunting podcasts. And, you know, that changed me as a hunter. When I found hunting podcasts, I learned Man, I grew up hunting with a lot of people, but, you know, you get a big perspective when you start hearing people that talk around the country and around the world. You got guys like Ranella that have their own podcast now. I mean, you want to get educated as a hunter? My gosh, uh, it's it's just uh, the amount of information is exponential, right? Yeah, and so how much of that fire hose can you suck down at once with all yeah, the information that you can find, both either, you know, internet looking at forums or even youtube or then like you said like you listen to you know half hour of even just your podcast and when you've got the beast on or you've got some other guest it's like take notes because this is coming at you right now yeah it's yeah how much can you take on and then how much can you retain you know but that's a great thing about podcasts you can go back and listen to them again you know I got a list of uh, podcasts that every year I listen to, you know, at certain points of the year, diet ones, um, life advice, a, a lot of different stuff. And you can just mark them, put them in a notebook, however you got to do it, put in your notes in your phone, this episode, you know, why you liked it. And then, uh, you know, specifically with deer hunting ones, I'm, different parts of the year different podcasts that you you hear Dan Infall on a podcast talking about, you know, how important it is to know what wind is doing around you, how it's uh, impacted by thermal dynamics, um, you know, thermals in general, the heating and the cooling of the air, and how his understanding of that is a giant tool for him to be successful as a deer hunter, you know, it's kind of like the foundation of what he's doing, what he's looking at. Like, what's the wind do? That's the first thing we're going to, we can't make any decisions until we get figured out what's the wind doing. And uh, it's a pretty complex thing, but it's super interesting. And so I go back every year, uh, multiple times a year and listen to Dan and Falk talk about wind and thermals because you're only going to, 
you just can't maintain it all. You're taking in so much information all the time. But when you go revisit it, you know, then every now, every, it seems like every time you compound what you retain. And then the biggest thing is, you know, you take that to the field and you implement it and you see it work. And then you kind of change it maybe a little bit because you need to do it a little bit differently. Or you hear another guy talking about how he does it a little bit differently. And you try that, then you really start holding on to that stuff and learning, you know? So that, that was all really that I, that really drove me to want to do this was to be like a spoke in a wheel of good information, just, you know, giving people something to laugh at. Obviously the, you know, our, our slogan is, uh, you know, entertain, educate, evolve and entertain becomes, you know, it goes ahead of everything else because, you know, if you're not having fun, what are you doing? So the first thing that I always want to do is just kind of replicate, you know, like a deer camp kind of feel to it. Just campfire conversations, you know, but I'm pretty sure that podcast was already, has probably already been taken up, but uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This just worked out where I decided uh, one night that deer hunter was just a simple way to say and reach a lot of people is like, well, if you ever have hunted deer or you do hunt deer or you aspire to hunt deer, you're, you're a deer hunter. And there's a whole bunch of us. Yeah. So let's just uh, be a spoke and kind of the wheel. And then, you know, I heard the, when I heard the Gritty Bowman podcast and the way that those guys did a lot of that, I really liked Aaron Snyder, you know, as a guy personally, myself, that's, growing up in the trades and just around like a bunch of, you know, uh, my buddies always say like when we're at deer camp, you know, oh, you got to go into town and get supplies towns where the people hate you. You know, it's just like looking at you a little bit differently because uh, you're, you guys are a bunch of hunters and mountain men essentially. And so I, I like to uh, keep it, try to keep it uh classy a little bit and on the rails but at the same point in time like do we hunt because we're wild animals and excuse us but we're we're going to be a little bit of a wild animal here and so that's kind of a big part of it too now is just me and you know my buddies being able to get together and catch up with each other and talk yeah. a little bit back and forth at each other and it, it's evolved into it's my hobby you know my my job and my kids, my wife, and the, the podcast is about all I do. I hunt fish. Uh, I love to hunt fish. I would do that all the time <laughs> over everything else. If anybody would ever sign off on that, it's not happening. <laughs> but I, I would do that all the time. I would hunt fish all the time. I just love hunting and fishing. And so it's easy to talk about and talk. I mean, like, what a pleasure to have the opportunity to sit here and catch up with you this evening. And if we weren't, if we weren't involved in this, we wouldn't have this conversation, you know? So, yeah, I was going to even you know, kind of throw it up to you too. It's kind of like a mix. It's almost a balance between this modern era of technology where even if we really wanted to, like, it's not outside the realm of us being able to somehow digitally or whatever map a 40 acres and just know the placement of every single deer. It's, it's within which is within technological uh, prowess that we we could be able to do that. But at the same time, 
as a community of just hunters, we've you know we put in rules behind that both um, within our uh, game agencies. But at the same time, it just that old school way of hunting where it is like just like you said, you get with your buddies, and it's a time that we're we're out here pursuing food. Food is alive, and we're gonna go kill it. There's gonna be some grittiness to that. It's never gonna be this this beautiful PC thing. And at the same time, our reactions to one another and our relationships with one another are going to be deepened by that. So, yeah, listening to your podcast, it really does reminisce a, a, a camp environment because at that point, these are not just guys that you hang out with, but these are guys that not, you do a special part of your life with at that moment. You share memories with those guys that you don't share with anybody else. Yeah, the bond is uh, something different. You know, you laugh a little harder at deer camp. Everything's, like, intense in its own manner. But, uh, yeah, the, the community aspect of the guys that I've grown up with in, in camp, driving up, you know, driving up north and back home from trips, hundreds of miles in pickup trucks together, you know. And so many hours of conversation, so many little experiences that we've had together that we would never have had if it wasn't for, you know, that time that we spend together hunting and fishing. I'm going to say that, you know, that's one thing I'm really coming to realize is the the time it's the, it's not even so much what you're doing. It's the fact that what you're doing has got you doing like what you're doing. You know what I, I, and that might sound kind of stupid, but you're there with friends and family. Maybe you don't catch any fish. Maybe you don't get a deer, but, you know, you don't know who you're going to meet that weekend. You don't know what kind of experience you're going to have. It's just it's a way to navigate your life and spend time with people that you love and want to be around. And I don't know how there's a better way to live life than that per- personally. And you're getting out do- outdoors. You're doing a clean activity. You know, you're super low impact. It's, uh, you, you know, you know, you're doing the right thing, you know, happy we go out to places and I know you've been involved with those type of activities where you go up and clean, you know, and I'm not even, I don't even get bummed out anymore. Uh, I mean, I do, but I'm, I guess I'm kind of even past the point I've been so disgusted with how other people treat the outdoors that I don't, it's not, it's like, I haven't not seen it now after being on some of those big cleanups and stuff. So it's just kind of like whatever, man, all I can do is, uh, just pick up whatever, you know, they're making more work for me, but it's not that unique of a situation where people make more work for you. So, um, I totally agree. I'm sure up North and even over here on the West side too, I, I bring a bag, like, you know, I want to get a limit of squirrels or I'm out there. If I'm, you know, even going on the lake, you know, I want to get a limit of, of bluegill, but at the same time, I got an extra pail because I want to get a limit of spent shells or of cans or whatever pieces of plastic water bottles. Water bottles are the worst. I find them all over the place. And just to fill up a bucket and be like, hey, I got a limit's worth of trash. At least it's one five-gallon bucket that's just not sitting out there right now. Yeah. See, it's simple things like that. Just saying like, hey, good practice. Don't take water bottles. Get an algae or a stainless steel thing. Keep it in your you know, keep it in your backpack or have a spot for it. But, you know, people are getting into this and 
they don't know any better. And, and honestly, some of it's inexcusable, obviously. A, a, a mo it's inexcusable. You know, I would never, like if I found out my, one of my kids like took something out into the woods, that was plastic or, you know, a cigarette butt or something like it's something as small as a cigarette butt, you know, is just like, dude, you gotta leave this place better than it was when you got here or you're not going to have its respect. And that's just how you lead by example when you're out in these places. Like you do not bring garbage out here and you're a steward of this land. And you have to leave it better than what it was when you came there. And if part of that is picking up other people's mess, dude, I guess at this, you know, where we are in the game right now, just the reality of it. It's a lot of people that don't have the same respect or feel the same way about these places that a guy that's like me and you do. And so they don't get it or they just been around the wrong people. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's a training that needs to happen. It needs to be taught at least at that point. I, I really like, and I've, I've seen a lot of his work anyway, Doug Duran out in Wisconsin. He's really put on a huge effort um, on the CWD end um, but his whole mantra of it's not ours, it's our turn, saying that this is going to be here after us and we're going to have to pass it along to somebody else. You know, we want to leave it to them very pristine. We want to leave it to them untouched so that they have the opportunity to both enjoy it, but at the same time excel even more past that. So, yeah, it's going to be just like you were saying, like it's going to be one of those things that it's going to be a constant thing. It's almost, it almost shouldn't shock us anymore that we need to continue to take af- take care boots on the ground of the place, the wild places we love is because it's, it's just constantly going to be something we're going to have to do. Conservation's got really tricky. I feel like now it's in a kind of a tricky place because it's become political and that's dangerous. Like that can divide our already small community. We can't really afford that because let's, let's, re- you know, we have to realize that we are stewards of the resources is what everything is always all about, right? It's the driving factor for life is the resources. Everybody wants the resources and people will go to, you know, people will do immoral things to be able to get the resources for themselves or for their state or their country. We are the kind of the guardians and stewards of these natural resources of this country that we are in right now. And, and we got it coming from us at a lot of different angles and we've never needed to be so informed. And we've also, we're talking about how much information is available. There's also an immense amount of misinformation. And so you have to be a little bit cautious and careful and balance out what you're ingesting, who you're talking with, who you're listening to. You have to listen to opposing opinions, especially in the hunting community, because you got to try to figure out like, why are they on that side and I'm on this side? And then you'll actually learn some things and you'll see that you might have been getting some bad information too. You know, and I think anybody that's reasonable nowadays wants to know that. I'd rather know that I'm getting bad information than live in a bubble. And so having a, having a community again, where you talk, I've found out the best way to get information 
is right from the ground level. What's happening there? What's happening in that county? You know, you get a much different story than if it goes through 110 people and three editors. And so having a community is a, is a huge thing about getting, you know, getting good information. And we're just, we got some challenging times ahead of us. You know, we have, we're very fortunate to have what we have. And you can see, if you look back in the past, and if you look at what could happen in the future, you, you know, you know, rising populations throughout the world are going to need resources. And a lot of people are going to want our great resources. And we have a pretty good system in place here to protect that. But it's our time now. Like, we can't be making little mistakes that cost us and let it start getting chipped away at. And the fastest way for that to happen is for us to argue over pointless things, which is what we often do, you know, <laughs> like antler points and uh, putting laws in place. That's always something that I, I like to think about in my head is like, let's not need a law. Let's just try to like self-govern and even be better and come up with better solutions and just lead by example. And then you can say like, Hey, look, this works, you know, we can do this. Uh, every time you uh, put laws in place, you one way or another, they're typically restricting something. And I feel like it's just a bad precedent to set in the hunting community to like lose any ground or any privileges or any access. Um, I, I understand there's bad actors and you have to have, you know, basically bumpers in the rails to keep them from going completely off into the gutter and dragging everybody off with them. I totally get that, but I'm a big fan of this podcasting community and everybody that's involved in writing nowadays and magazines and YouTube programs of really leading by example. And I think there's some people that are just really outstanding, uh, really, really doing an outstanding job. So I'm pretty inspired about the future of, you know, raising my kids to have the same opportunities that I did and then some. And then, yeah, it's just real important that I figure out how it's the best way to be a steward of the land so that I can teach that to my kids and any way that we can share that message and pass that message along. It's going to be important because if we sit here and spend countless hours on Facebook arguing over broadheads or shot placement or how many antlers are on a deer's head that we're just not, we don't have our attention paid to where it needs to be paid and we're not, focusing on the things that we need to be focusing on, if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. And I'm totally glad that, uh, yeah, you're giving your point of view on that. And I totally agree. I mean, and the, the thing is, too, is that's a fun, well, what I want to say, it's an interesting thing for people within a community, like the hunting community, to debate a broadhead, to debate the antler points, or to even think about the, like let's say the white tail population as a whole in a particular state. Like those are great things that need to be talked about and discussed. But like you said, we start having those people that need the bumpers off the one end that it's like, whoa, whoa, you're now making this a personal, you know, personal identity at this oh, point. That, refrigerator in the ditch at the parking, you know, it's yeah. like, come on, really? <laughs> come on. And you couldn't even empty it out like a fridge full of old rotten food. You're, you're an awful person. 
so but they're out there. They are. They are. And but like you said, just being able to keep that in perspective that we need to be in this together as a community. I I really appreciate that you're saying that. And that's everything that your your podcast even goes on to say that you've got I mean, you got people on both sides of the hunting community, whether whatever it, uh, issue it is. I think that's the fun part too. Is like you said, you're getting information from from every side. You get a chance to then filter through on how you're personally gonna uh, use that. Um, I look at it on my side too. Is I'm a full time opportunity person. I'm not gonna hide behind that. You know, I get my first opportunity to put an animal down. I'm gonna put it down. Now I do have a choice that. I have neighbors that are really into, they want to grow bigger deer. They want to grow bigger bucks. And they're very much into the QDMA model. But not in a point where they don't understand what their neighbors are going to have an impact. So we've got an awesome working relationship. And I get my first doe that walks out in front of me, bam, hey, I get to bring in meat automatically to the family. And it's not one of those things where I've angered anybody. Not that that would even matter. But we've already got a previous relationship created that that they know that's that's how I operate. But I see myself a little spike that comes through on opening day, you know, and I'm not even going to pick up the bow and, and go for it. Now, granted, this year I had a three-point come by me last hour, last day of archery, with gun opener going to be the worst gun opener that we've had in a long time. And I was like, well, I'm sorry, buddy, but this is going to go down. This is going to happen. And at the same time, I didn't I didn't have any qualms about doing that. So be able to be flexible in these minors, but at the same time, we're both on this mission that we're we're all about being uh, sportsmen. Flexibility is the key thing. You said it. You got to be flexible about everything, and it's it's big time in deer hunting too. You want to be cautious of drawing like um, oh, I'm trying to think of you know judging people by the weapons that they hunt with or the size animal that they like to harvest. Cause it, I said, I guess it, it's, it, it sets this uh, precedent where you kind of judge a person before you know them. And you'll find out that you guys can often, even if you do have difference of opinion that are very strong, things you just don't agree on. There'll be a lot of things you do agree on so just you you often will miss an opportunity for like i said a a relationship and then if you have um you know you got to have a working relationship uh, to be able to get along with people even if you have differences otherwise it's miserable and there a lot you know hunting has that its fair share of that i mean we we have some property that has property owner that we just simply really don't get along with i mean we are completely on different sides of the spectrum and if you know i could go into detail i'll just say a brief outline the guy high fenced <laughs> one of our would, would have been our eastern property line of a big chunk of timber up north and so you know he didn't really set he didn't like come over and be like hey guys my name's dan and i brought some beers how you guys doing he's like here's a 10-foot fence and we're gonna have a deer farm you know so it was just like oh man, this is going to be a tough relationship. This isn't getting off on the the best of foot, you know, but whatever, we still manage and flexibility, right? So it was like, well, that was way less than ideal. Like, you know, if you got a piece of deer hunting property up in the big woods in Northern Michigan, 
having a high fence strung down one of your property lines is very, very poor for uh, hunting purposes. It, there is a couple different advantages to it. Um, obviously, it's a natural barrier and it's transition line in some capacity. So game actually does like to travel that fence line, but uh, whatever. It's I stay as far away from it as I possibly could. And to be honest with you, I quit hunting on that piece of property. Oh, geez. Six, seven years ago, I mean, I'll occasionally sit on it. I have uh, one or two spots that are just, I grew up there hunting that I, I like to revisit every year. I like to just go sit there. They're in good spots. I, I know that they have the opportunity to, you know, kill a reasonable buck, uh, kill a lot of bucks off of that property, some, some nicer ones too. And what uh, I, for the most part, 98% of the time when I go up there, I'm bombing around state land because I could just go and go and find better deer hunting spots. You know, that, that piece of property is one thing I just grew up with the misconception of not wanting to go off of it because it was like, why would I go on public land and have to compete with other people and there be hunting pressure when I have private land? And then, you know, over the course of time, you start realizing and venturing out, sitting on little pieces of the public that butted up to the backside of it. And you're just like, man, this, this keeps going, huh? And this keeps going. And then I think it's just a natural thing for those who want to explore, just start going and start exploring. And then sooner or later, you're like, oh, well, this is a better spot than I was hunting. So I'm going to hunt here now. And then you just kind of keep doing that. You know, like every year, I'm just like looking for better spots. Like, oh, I guess I hunt here now. This is an awesome spot and doesn't appear like anybody's, you know, hunting here. And obviously that's like a big groundwork and foundation for me when I pick a hunting spot is I don't think other people are hunting it especially when I'm going up into the big woods. I mean, that's one of the biggest things. It's just the way the deer pattern is a pattern to use travel corridors where they know people aren't going to be intercepting them or be around. So the landscape up there is awesome. And, uh, you know, it, it comes with its own set of uh, circumstances, right? There's a lot of guys up there doing different things. There's guys up there elk hunting, picking mushrooms, Obviously, deer hunting, turkey hunting, grouse, quail, woodcock, squirrel, rabbit, bear, coyote. Dude, you name it. People are out there looking for it. And so you got to kind of learn to work around all that. But uh, I couldn't imagine deer hunting in a different way. I just absolutely, absolutely love it and there's another thing too that goes back to just being able to talk with people and deal with people you know you have situations that happen that you gotta you gotta know how to communicate with people or or have a reasonable ability to communicate with people if there's any kind of situation and you know and i had a situation last year where a couple guys walked up on me and i felt it was very disrespectful the way that they they did it and I guess they felt differently, you know, so I was pretty irritated and uh, I was just like, well, you know, that's kind of my fault in a way, because I shouldn't have been there. Like, I don't want to be anywhere where anybody else is hunting. I was, that's on me. 
You know, I'm not going to be mad at those guys because they came to that spot. I don't know. That's a spot that I don't want to go back to. Not only is there another hunter there, but he's kind of an asshole. <laughs> so you don't even want the guy that you're hunting next to to be that guy. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's just that attitude. It's like, hey, I'm not married to the spot. I got, you know, when, when you hunt on private, it's different. You know, people are invested into the property. Not that I'm not invested at some level you know, into the public plan, but obviously I am at a high level, but it's different. And there's so much of it. It's like just in our home state here in Michigan alone, it's like my whole life, dude, I could spend my whole life just hunting and fishing and it'd be, you'd, be, you'd have a job ahead of you to see this whole state. You know, if you're going to talk about the UP and uh, the lower peninsula, exploring all they have to offer for you know every inch of wilderness and public lands you got your work cut out for you so then add in the united states and it's just kind of like yeah it's kind of like a mind-altering thing you're like well i'm never going to get bored like i'm never going to be i'm never going to be unhappy so long as i can keep my health together and have my family healthy and i can feel like i'm a part of moving this thing forward so that i can continue to enjoy it and that my kids have these opportunities and that's how I want to live my life. How's, uh, how's the training of the boy going out there? Have you taken, I mean, I've seen photos on Instagram. If you don't follow uh deer hunter podcast, make sure you go on Instagram, give him a follow as well. Um, you've been toting him around for, uh, quite a ways on public land. Has he, uh, has he done any sits with you yet? No, he hasn't actually. And that, I'm glad that you brought that up because it's a, it's a, it's a unique conversation. It's a unique thing that, you know, I'm going through right now, raising a, a kid and, you know, soon another one in the outdoors. And I know you're, you know, you're a teacher and a father. So you're stuff that you're passionate about and conscious about looking at probably at a eye, a lot different than most people. Right. But I, I try to, I try to pay attention to what we're doing, why we're doing it. And so there's a lot of different ways. I'm going to set, I want to set this conversation, um, you know, put this in quotations, exclamations in front of the statement is the way that I'm doing it doesn't mean it's the way that you should do it. There is all kids are different. All parents are different. Everybody lives in different areas, which, you know, geographically, a lot of your circumstantial stuff is going to be very different than mine. All I can tell you is how I'm doing it and what's kind of I feel like is working for me and why. But that does not mean by any, you know, any means that's the way that anybody else should go about it. But I'm always curious to hear about how other people are doing it, too. You know, we started this off before we recording talking about your archery thing. And I think it's a super cool thing that you're doing, but I'm trying to figure out how to raise a son now in the outdoors. I mean, I have a good foundation because I was raised by my grandfather and my father. Not that they spent a ton of time in the woods with me. Those guys were busy running a business and they didn't have the luxury to have time. Like I feel like I have now, even in my line of work, being in skilled trades, but those guys worked often, but they got us out there enough that we knew we weren't scared to go. 
first of all. We weren't scared to go in the woods. They got us acclimated to the woods as young boys. Here's how you use a compass. Here's how you start a fire. See you later. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so we got lost, man. We got lost and we got found. You know, what we, we're up in some expansive landscape. You know, we're 60 and 40 acre woodlots. So it's nothing like our parents were just letting us go roam out in the wilderness. But uh, they let us get lost and they let us get found. And uh, we learned real quickly, you know, that we wanted to be in the woods. We wanted to be in the woods all the time. And so that's what I want my kid to want to do. I want him to be in the woods and to be aspire to be out in the woods and like out in the lake. And does he need to deer hunt right now? You know, I see a lot. It seems like the ages are getting younger and younger. And I think that that's, I don't have anything against that. I think that's a good thing. But I also think there's a point of like, hey, this is a super serious thing we're doing here. Kids aren't always at the same maturity level. Like, and, and you probably can, you know, talk on this as far as you being a teacher is that kids mature at different levels. Oh, for sure. For sure. In different ages. You know, I, I've seen some 12 year olds that are way more responsible than 30 year olds. That I know it's just the absolute truth. And so, you know, I, I don't always feel like my kid needs to be doing it like the second that it's legal or the second that he can do it. it it's going to be more of a thing where, like, and like I said, I, I, I preface this by saying that this is not the way that I think anybody else should do it. It's just the way that I'm thinking I'm going to do it. And I want my son to learn with a single string stick and a bow. I want him to learn archery. And I think that uh, it's reasonable to think that at like, I don't know, eight or 10 years old, when he gets to where he can draw a bow that, like, really draw a bow, not like sky draw a bow and barely get the thing back. I'm, I'm not in any rush for my kid to kill a deer. Mm -hmm. I want him to go through the learning phases. I think that's an important thing of hunting. And I think we're having a lot of that taken away from us and always wanting to be there the fastest and, and the first. There's a huge thing I'm seeing with my son develop in with archery, you know, the, and I always go back to this, the simplest thing of you're drawing back on a deer and your arrow comes off the rest and to have the mental fortitude to have the composure to notice slowly and softly grab it with your finger and maneuver it back onto the rest while not making a bunch of motion and, you know, doing it slowly enough that you don't make noise while doing it and then getting restabilized and anchored. So you're doing this like super crazy task where your heart is racing, you're drawing on an animal, your everything is elevated, your senses are just peaking and then you run into a problem and your brain has to like neurologically shift gears and be like, Hey, we got a problem here. Like we got to solve this. And I don't think there's replacement for that except for having those kind of like high intensity situations. 
And I think deer hunting is one of those things that puts you in that place over and over again. Things go wrong. You got to make split second decisions. And I, I think if the initiative that I'm taking them out there is like, hey, we got we to gotta get out here and we got to get this done because now's when, hey, you know, now you're legal to get a license. Maybe some kids have been ready for a year. Maybe they're there and they should go the day that they can get that license. But maybe some other kids just aren't, you know, aren't, aren't there and they need a little more work. They need to practice a little bit harder before they're rewarded with. I mean, I think it's a real privilege what we get to do. And so, you know, if, if I'm not confident that my son is mentally there where he fully understands the capacity of like, Hey, you're taking an animal's life. This isn't just something cool that we do. So you can take a picture and show it off at your school. This is a big deal. You're, this is a big responsibility dude. you're, you're taking an animal's life. And so I, I'm not in a rush to jam my kid through that process right now. I'm focused on getting him out there and having him make decisions, like putting situations in front of him, like, hey, you know, how should we get across this ditch? It's full water, you know? And he's like, oh, I'm just going to go through it. I'm like, well, you're five, so I guess I shouldn't have, you know, maybe not ruled <laughs> that out. But there's better ways, you know? Next time, maybe let's try build a bridge. And so, you know, you just, and it's fun for me, too. I'm having this, an absolute blast out there with these kids. Um Dude, I think building shelters and little forts and just going out in the woods with kids and starting a little fire and cooking like a hot dog, they have so much more fun doing that than going and sitting in a beer blind, I I think, from what I've seen, just at this young age, like, they want to be doing stuff. Um, We just went last weekend, and it's uh, something that um, can see, like, be read. Uh, becoming another big part of my life now is ice fishing because the, you can be semi-serious about it, right? You can go out there, you got a good shanty set up, you can get on some fish, you can be catching fish. Your kids will kind of maybe want to duck in and out. Maybe they're having a blast catching fish. Maybe one kid just loves it. He can't get enough of it. The other kids want to go out on the ice and wrestle. Good. Go wrestle. Just don't be that noisy and get away from the shanty, you know? just getting them out there and doing it. And then I'm in there, I'm catching perch. I got perch to come home and clean and, and eat. It's like, this is such a great family activity. And like, I'm not in any rush to get my kid to come try to sit and be quiet and still and sit out in the deer blind when we could go fishing or we could go ice fishing or trail cameras. My kid just loves trail cameras. He likes going out there. He likes, you know, putting the cameras up. He likes uh, seeing the pictures. We have a cell cam. You know, he's always, what's on the camera? What's on the camera? You know, he, and I, that's something I started doing with my son. That And that's something that you can do as a dad, I think, with a baby. Like, you have one of those little carriers, you know, like, dude, go bomb around uh, and throw a couple cameras up and go check your cameras every couple weeks. It's just a good way to good excuse to go for a, a walk and see what's going on and get, you know, I love, I love trail hunting cameras, dude. They're a big part of the way I hunt. And so uh, you get your finger on the pulse of what's going on in places and kids just absolutely love to do that. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I might be carrying on here, but you asked me this question and it has been on my mind because it's, it's what I got going on right now. No, it's fresh. I, I love the idea that you're saying that I'm not, I want this kid to to love this, but I'm not. 
it's not my job to force them to love it. They're going to love what they want to love, but they're going to have to go through the lessons and the how to get through something. They're going to have to get the thought process of how to be out in a wilderness place on their own and not have someone to rely on. But at least at that point, you've got your hand on their shoulder to be like, yeah, we could wade through that and you'll be wet and cold. And we can do that once because it's not going to be any big harm. I love how you brought up the ice fishing thing. That's as same time as, as you're doing that, we're doing the same thing. Middle boy dunked his hand in to clean the, the snow out of his hole, but he's holding the spoon. So he got to learn like, oh, that's why we have the spoon is not to <laughs> skate around on the actual, like to clear the snow, but to actually clean the hole with that. You know, right. we have the muff and he just puts his hand in the muff and he, his hand was warm in a matter of minutes. But at the same time, just to watch like, what are you doing, buddy? He totally did not think about it. But just then to have him go through the thought process of like, yeah, I, I don't want to do that again. I can guarantee, though, after that, there wasn't a single snowflake in anybody's hole because he was on top of it. He was on spoon, Dooney. No, dude, I'd like to fish with him because I, I despise having a dirty hole, man. Like, <laughs> I, um, I like to have all the little bits of ice out there. I'm a big ice fish. When I like to ice fish, I'm a big, uh, big, big part of it for me is the visual aspect. I love, I use a little jigging Rapala, and I just love watching perch go after that thing. And when you get a couple good sized perch come in and they're, they're aggressive, and they go after that thing. It's just, oh my gosh, it's so much fun. It's so exciting. I just absolutely love it. And I love to be able to see because if there's a lot of little fish down there, which is the places that I often fish, there's just a ton of what we call, we call them dinks. You know, I know that's probably pretty popular with ice fishermen, but that's what we call them uh, here, obviously, is the dinks. And you got to fish around a lot of dinks to get, you know, get a couple jumbos. And so I like being able to see see what's going on so I can move that Rapala around as needed to avoid fish. So I'm not, you know, taking off 47 fish in an hour, you know, I'm kind of catching the fish. I'm targeting the fish that I want out of the school. And I think that was a big thing that got me hooked on ice fishing when I was little was that visual aspect of it. I just thought that was the coolest thing to go in there and see these fish come swimming through. And then I think there's like, there's just something about ice fishing tackle that's cool. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, ice fishing tackle's super cool. And sitting in a shanty during a snowstorm, I just always loved ice fishing. And my uncle, you know, I my dad really, you know, they took us out on the pond here and there. But my uncle was into ice fishing, and he had a shanty. You know, he took us out in that shanty, and he had a big, you know, I don't know what it was, you know two foot by two foot square hole cut in the ice and he was spear pike and catching perch and stuff and i just remember going in there and it was you know whatever five foot of crystal clear water and watching perch swim through there i'm just like look this is the coolest thing ever like i'll do this all the time you know and then with kids you know you involve cook them a grilled ham cheese sandwich on the heater or bring some donuts and hot chocolate and, and these kids are having more fun than they could ever imagine oh yeah I mean, kiss the TV goodbye. Any good campfire beats TV. But I would say the glow from the hole of an ice fishing setup, I say rivals even a campfire. Like, you can just stare down into yeah, that ever. abyss forever. Yeah, right. Yep. 
Yeah, you're right, man. It's uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, I had whatever has been heightened uh, sense of everything here over the course of the way the last year was. It was so refreshing just step foot off land. I was kind of like had this mental thing where I was like, just leave me alone out here. You guys can have all the land, you know, you guys right. can have all the land. Just, <laughs> just leave me be out here. It was like this refreshing feeling of like, oh, I'm away from it, you know. And so, yeah, man, that's a big thing for the kids, too. I want to just give them an escape and have them be interested in things that are going to keep them out of trouble. It kept me out of trouble. It really did. I mean, if it wasn't for hunting and fishing, what I would have replaced with that time would just, you know, wouldn't have been good in my teenage years. It would have been not nearly as beneficial to my life. And, uh, yeah, man, so trying to figure out basically how to, you know, do this now with the family you know even the podcasting stuff has lent its own challenges you know just to even cut out of the household now for an hour but uh when you can take the kids with you and everybody's having fun and your kids are developing they're learning skills to develop and everybody's having fun i mean just I, you can't ask for a whole lot more than that when you're uh when you're a parent and we took uh my son a buddy that i work with he brought his three kids. I took my son. He brought his daughter and his two sons. One's uh, my boy would have been the middle, middle with the oldest boy being 14 and the youngest one being like two. Uh, my son's five, three. I think it was three, five and a 14 year old. And then uh, his 12 year old daughter. And we went out there last weekend just out to uh, my parents have small piece of property down the road from the farm where we often go to get firewood it got hit with emerald ash borer so it's got a bunch it's got a bunch of just premium ash just laying on the ground i've been working to get it up and out of there so we went back there and uh, i brought my chainsaw and we cut some like nice big four foot ash timbers and just got a big fire going and uh built shelter you know the kids built shelters and you know we let them dabble around with you know, the knives and hatchets and all the stuff that they're not allowed to play with basically <laughs> when we're not around. You I know tell what you, I mean? You put, you put a hatchet in a kid's hand and just like a bow, like we were talking about, I have students who, when you hand them this real compound bow and they're like, there's, there's no rubber tip on this. You're like, you're right. There is no safety. You screw up. It's going to hurt. And the amount of respect that they just give to that piece of equipment even more so than any adult, they could just talk anybody out of there and not give them the light of day. But you give them that piece of equipment and everything changes. They're going to yeah. be super careful with that. Yeah, and the same thing. Like all kids are different ages too, and they get there faster. I mean, some kids will get there faster because they had that. They had that experience. You know, a three-year-old that's you know sitting next to his dad watching him split wood and then you know kind of helping along you know by five or six years old you're letting them pick the hatchet up and kind of chop at some pieces of wood every kid's different right um it's interesting to watch and see and then with kids you know it's just you got to watch a fine line too right because you got to you know like hey make sure you don't i don't turn around for five minutes and you don't lop your thumb off 
So you got to give them a little bit of, you got to give them some room. And sometimes it can be tough to do as a parent because you're just, you're concerned, you know, it's like, man, should I be letting him do that right now? <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, if it feels like I, I should and I shouldn't at the exact same time. I don't know what to do with this, you know, and then it's like, yeah, you know, he's, he seems to get it and uh, comprehend and I'm watching him. You know, but then you got to be kind of cautious too. You know, I've had times where I'm sitting there washing dishes in the kitchen, and my son will come up and just whack me with some plastic sword, you know? And I'm thinking, well, what if that was the hatchet? You know, like, would <laughs> exactly. he know better? Or would he just think, like, oh, this will be funny, you know? So you got to keep an eye on kids because they will inevitably, they'll, they'll need your guidance because they'll, you know, it's, uh, I always think it's a wonder that they don't get hurt more that they're just not hurt all the time because they're they could be so reckless but you gotta let them do that because that's how they that's how they learn yeah i, I don't know man I, I haven't ran into or had a, a lot of um i haven't any kids real close to me that haven't just haven't wanted to be in the outdoors you know if we're doing something you know often there's got to be other kids involved too because that's a big part like i said it is for us you know we don't want to go up to deer camp by ourselves we want to go with our buddies yeah it's the same thing with kids man they don't they don't want to go you know it's important too and there will be times where it'll be just the two of you and the two of you will go and you'll do that but i think it's really important adds a dynamic you know to involve uh, other kids and and dude it's a great excuse to be around parents that you want to be around you know if you got buddies or cousins or brothers or sisters you know, you get your kids all involved in it. And then it's like, hey, you know, what are we, we're all going to go pick mushrooms, uh, you know, Saturday. We're all going to go up north and we're going to go out on a mushroom hunt, you know, or what, whatever, whatever the flavor is. You know, we're going to go go up north and just go to the cabin and go out fishing in the canoes. Whatever it is, it's, a, it's something that we all kind of unite around and the kids grow. And, uh, yeah, honestly... I feel bad for people that don't live this or don't weren't raised doing this and know what they're missing out on. Cause especially this year taught me like, you know, we like to go do social events or at least we used to uh, until everything like got super weird. And then it's just kind of like, man, things don't have the same feel that used to be fun, but right now it's just not fun. And I was so thankful that, 95% of everything I ever want to do involves like being away from other people. So I was like, well, this works out real good for me, but I feel, I feel awfully bad for people that don't have this in their lives. You know, I could see how you'd be, and see frankly how you'd be pretty unhappy. Amen. Amen. Hard transition. Favorite tr critter to chase. I'm assuming it's probably the white tail. Or do you have another closet aspiration that uh, you just love to chase? That's funny. Closet aspiration. I've got some things that I want to chase, but deer hunting just tears just tears me up. The deer are so smart, and they figured out how to coexist like around people in this epic fashion. Like, you know, I think they are um, the white-tailed deer from north to south range might be the most um might have the like the i don't know how, exactly how you would say that but it covers the the greatest distance of range from north to south of any big game animal i could be wrong on that but it's if it's not number one it's right up there 
Right. And it might be, it, I feel like, I hate to say I'm confident in saying this because somebody's actually going to know if I'm, if I'm not uh, truthful, but I feel like I've heard that. And, and you could see that because they're just, they're so adaptable. Yes. So many, you know, from Coos deer to, you know, I lived in Florida for a while. I actually worked part of my territory that I covered as a service technician was the keys. I spent a lot of time in the keys. And so I've been around key deer and, you know, you look at a three-year-old key deer buck and then go up to Northern Michigan and see a three and a half year old buck. It's like, well, that's not the same animal, but it's the same animal. They just, they adapt to their environment. And I, I just think they're amazing animal and the opera, the, one of the things opportunities too, obviously for where I live, you know, they're, Pretty much anywhere you go in North America, if you're into hunting, you know, you can find white-tailed deer hunting. And so I just think they're a fascinating animal. I have a ton of respect for them. I absolutely love deer meat. I mean, it drives me. It's the driving factor for me. I'm always chasing down, you know, looking for a big, big buck dream of big bucks all the time but in between having those dreams i still very much accept reality and are willing to be flexible and i just like the uh the opportunity that they provide that you could go out on a thursday evening after working you know if you have maybe a little five acre household that you live on and and you could go back out there and source your own your own protein for your family and be a little steward of a little piece of land and the white-tailed deer is the whole thing driving you towards it at least it is for me that nothing really i don't have any kind of emotional attachment with anything that i uh that i pursue like i do the white-tailed deer i don't know if that's the answer that you're looking for but that's kind of how no, i feel like about poetry. it like poetry <laughs> you know the bible is made to be uh read by the simplest to be read by children but at the same time confuse even the genius and i feel like that correlation to even the white tail where you can go out and get your first deer walking not even getting to the stand but at the same time have two seasons where you just get busted in the most obscene way that you're like, how is it that I can go one year having the easiest time in the world and then the next having the most difficult time where I can't even get in the range of something? No, I think you uh, you put that together really well. Just wanted to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review uh, to go ahead and do that. It all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook, The Huntivore, or Instagram, at Huntivore. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? Or have some show topic ideas? Email us at Huntivore at gmail.com. For even more hunting and fishing podcasts by real, relatable sportsmen, head over to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, which happens to be a 2% for conservation company, 
who give 1% of their earnings and 1% of their time helping out the wildlife and wild places we all love. Now, back to the show. When that when that deer's hanging, do you uh, do you process your own, or do you go through a processor, or is that one so, of those flexibility things depending on what your weather gives you? It's flexibility thing, uh, big time, and it's not even as much weather dependent as it is where I find myself living at the time. So I've moved a lot. I'm 37 now. When I met my wife, we moved to Florida, then we moved to Illinois, we moved a couple places in Florida, a couple places in Illinois, back to the east side of Michigan, to the west side of Michigan, back to the east side of Michigan. So I've deer hunted all along. I've been deer hunting for 25 years. And so when I started out, my family never butchered their own. I mean, we did like rabbits, squirrels and stuff. But oftentimes I did that with my grandparents and with them. I had a neighbor that I grew up hunting and fishing with. And so my parents were never into like that aspect of it. Like they were cool if we went and did it. They would even pay for us to, if we got a deer, my parents, when we were little, like I got a real nice buck and my parents were like, oh, well, let's get it mounted, you know, sweet, <laughs> let's do that, you know, like they, they were cool about that stuff, but they didn't have the wherewithal or the the want to uh, take take animals apart, package them up. So we went to a butcher until I was probably like, hmm, I guess it was probably when I was in high school that I started well, middle school, I guess it would have been maybe around the age of 14 or something like that, 13, 14, when I started hanging out with guys that cut up their own deer. You know, I started having friends that I was like riding my bike over to their house and they were riding their bike over to my house and we were getting on buses and going to each other's houses after school. And some of these guys, their family did their own deer, so they were already doing their own deer. And so uh, probably my later years in high school, maybe my junior and senior year, I started, we started cutting our own deer apart. And we did that um, until I moved out of state. And then when I came back, I would come back to hunt. Even when I did live down in Florida, I would fly in for a long weekend or whatever. And uh, in Chicago, kind of the same thing. I would have it done you know, because I just didn't have the time or the ability to do it. I would have to get it done and then transport and all that. Then when I moved back, uh, I had the ability again to, uh, to do my own deer for a period of time at a nice garage set up, meat grinder, vacuum sealer, know how I like the thing cut up, know what we like to do with it. Um, it's not something that I'm uh, steer away from. It's something that I just am at the reality right now that I just don't have the setup. We, we sold that house and garage and we're in a different house now. And I just don't really have the layout or the space. And be honest with you, a big part of it is um, I live right by outstanding meat market. Like they do a phenomenal job and the price is super reasonable. So right now, it's not one of those things where I'm going to be like, um hanging my hat on like hey i'm the guy that butchers my own deer start to finish and i cut the tongues out and boil them and i like to eat the cheese behind the eyes and all that like 
I'm okay with uh, that. I, I understand everybody getting crazy, but I, I don't like need to, um, I don't need to hang my hat on that. I, I'm very comfortable just dropping my deer off because I know I have an excellent butcher and having him cut that thing up and going and picking it up and just having a freezer full of deer meat. One, two, it's like his trade, right? That's what he does. I respect that. Oh, yeah. I almost yeah. feel like when I see what he does versus what I do, that's like disrespectful to his trade. Where I'm like, <laughs> all right, I'm just going to bring it to you because you're a professional. Like, this is what you do. And man, I mean, they, they really do a phenomenal job. I'll give them a shout out if anybody's here in Southeast Michigan. It's Weiss's Meat Market here in Chesterfield, Michigan. And they just they just do a phenomenal job. It's it's super reasonable. They make all the sausage products and all that stuff at the same point in time. Not that we get a lot of, um, you know, the way I like my deer process essentially is my tenderloins, my roasts. Uh, I like to grind a lot of the deer out the two front shoulders, just ground into burger and then loose breakfast sausage. And I say breakfast lightly because we use that sausage for everything spaghettis meatballs meatloaves you know you name it you can put venison sausage in it and you're only going to make it better all kinds of different soups um you know venison breakfast sausage and pancakes i mean you can eat you could live off of that you could literally live off of just that and so i like uh right now that that's my setup i got a really good butcher that is just a mile from my house and uh they i I think it's kind of a custom order when you go in there, you know, it's personal. They, Hey, how do you want it done? Go through this book, select all these things. They write out a sheet. And then after having one or two deer done there, I was like, Oh, I'm keeping this sheet, you know, like put this on my file. Don't yeah. even ask me any more questions. I'm just going to drop it off. You guys pull my file. You know exactly how I want this thing done. They call me in three days. I pick it up. I'm like, this is awesome. And I feel good because I'm chipping into a local community, you know, uh, that guy's kids go to school with my kids. And so he's a big part of my community. And I'm glad that I can go like get a deer and bring some work back to him at the same point in time. man. so it's just one of those things, too. Like you're talking about flexibility is like whatever. I, I, I see some guys that they're just like, oh, yeah, I got to cut it up, you know, like they're um, I don't know, like they're a lesser man that they don't cut their deer up because that's what they've always done. And I'm just like, yeah, but if your kids are wanting to play with you or you've been gone all weekend and then you got to come home and do that for a whole day, like, I don't know. There's all kinds of ways you could justify what you're doing with your time. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And you said it right off the get-go, too, relationship. That that butcher, you're not just walking in and you're, like, trying to figure this guy out for the first time. Like, you've already had that pre-established relationship. And granted, he's part of your community at that point. So, yeah, you're totally – totally helping him out um by dropping your deer off and, and paying him the wage to to do that and then like you said like there's that learning curve where your time is going to be more valuable with your kids your wife at home than it is going to be trying to figure out how to cut this thing up hey um, i'm gonna i'm gonna say this too uh before we change conversation like you were just saying about the community thing like pay attention when you go places like I always am a little bit nosy. I'm like, got any good bucks here? You know, like what's up? Anybody bringing any good bucks? And then, you know, yeah, yeah. There's a couple in there, you know, like kind of glance at them. It's like, <laughs> you know, like some kind of peep show or something, but you're just like, Oh dude, there's big bucks in there. You know, I want to see them. And, and then you're like, Oh, 
where where was that one shot they're like oh you know so such and such state game area you know up, the guy was up in that area you know or you know you're you're talking to the guy in the parking lot he pulls in drops the tailgate he's got a sweet buck and you're like dude that thing's sweet like where'd you get that some guys are just like yeah cool story <laughs> you know like they're they're then that you know i would i would you know people ask me that question i was like where'd you get that like, i got it on state land like, where at I'm state land. Like, that's all you're <laughs> going to know. I got on state land. Like that's as far as conversations go. And uh, some other guys do, they want to tell you right where they were and how it happened and the whole thing. And I, I listened to that, you know, and it was like, man, that guy was up there and he brought a nice buck out of there. You know, maybe I'll go check that place out and maybe you get a hot tip. You know what I mean? So uh, going into those places, it's just something that I pay attention to is I'm always curious, like, Hey, you know, there's been a lot, or have you guys seen a lot of deer coming? You know, have you, how's the numbers? Like a lot more deer coming in this year than last year. I'm super nosy, inquisitive person, maybe nosy, nosy probably does identify it. Um, but I'm, I'm super inquisitive and same thing. I go to a sporting goods store or anything. Anytime I can get some information about hunting stuff, geographically you know especially if you're going somewhere like i go up north deer hunt you know if you stop at it you know stop at the dumpy looking little party store not the the brand new you know amway and go in there and ask that person you know hey you know any good hunting fishing spots around here or this or that you'd be amazed at how friendly people are oh you know i used to hunt down here off a so-and-so road or don't go here. You know, these guys go there and they run their bear dogs. And if you go out there, you know, you're just, you're going to have dogs running through and have to listen to dogs. And it's just, you can get a lot of good information by uh, talking with people uh, at a local level and get your, get, it can save you a lot of light work. Essentially, you can just get a hot tip, you know? There you go. You know, when we started this thing off, we, you mentioned that like podcasting was perfect for the hunting community. And I think you're just kind of proving that on this episode that anytime you do talk to a hunter, you need at least 20 minutes of an intro of the story before you get to the actual information <laughs> that you wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's like true. this long format, you're going to have to expect a story or two before you're going to get where you want to go. <laughs> yeah. It's, you got to hit all the supporting, the supporting elements. That's a big thing about hunting, too. Like I said, you just show somebody a picture of a dead animal hanging by its neck. They're like, yeah, that sucks. That's not cool, you know? You're like, yeah, I can kind of see that. <laughs> Tongue's all hanging out. There's blood everywhere. Thing looks like it got strung up for some crime, you know? It's like, yeah, that's that's not a good look. You know, but you have a, you know, have a couple beers and have a conversation about why you love it and why it's important. People are like, that's cool. I understand that, you know? So, yeah, talking about it is a good way to to do it, you know. In your freezer, what's the first thing that gets used up? I know you just said that burger kind of bakes a, a big deal, and in, with the little kids too. Oh man, they they hawk that stuff down. Um, but what's the first thing to go out of the freezer? Tenderloins. Tenderloins are the first thing to be gone, just because. Uh, well, they're tenderloins. Uh, I don't know. Do we, I don't know if we need, that one doesn't need, I guess, that much explaining, right? The tenderloins no, are the, that, that sounds good. I think you just got a lot of amens off that. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, dude, the tenderloin's probably followed by the breakfast sausage. Um, I don't get, you know, I usually get like maybe 10 pounds of it per deer, you know? So if I get three deer, it's 30 pounds of breakfast sausage. And that, that, that's good. That'd be good for our household. I shot two deer this year, two mature doe and 20 pounds of breakfast sausage. And we probably got four left, you know, and deer season wrapped up a month ago. So it was like, <laughs> we, we, we really go through the stuff. I think we cooked the last tenderloin. I got a heart left, which is great. I have the heart from my second doe that I shot. And, uh, that was only by accident uh, because I, uh, put it in the freezer and forgot about it. Normally I would, that would be the first thing I, that's just something that I don't care to freeze or refrigerate. I like to eat the heart fresh, Yeah. you know, if it's that night or the next day, uh, I've, um, I prefer to do it that way. So I guess actually I got to change my answer. The heart's the first thing to go, dude. How about that? There you go. Something. The heart's the first thing to go, uh, typically, and then the tenderloins, and then the sausage, and take the rest of it down from, take the rest of it down from there. Gotcha. What are you usually left as a freezer treasure late summer as season starts to approach? What's that last piece that you're like, I got to get creative with this? Summertime. We're talking like a nice warm summer day to be around the barbecue and have some beers. You betcha. But I'm at this point, on. it's like the last piece. Oh, that that backstrap. Oh, you're done with that already. She gone. She gone. Yeah. This is that last piece that you're like, man. Well, I guess I should back up. Do you save a bit of backstrap for right before the next season starts, or are you uh, are you trying to get creative with like shanks or rib meat at that point? No. Yeah, we're just. Uh... We have uh, no restriction. It's unrestricted warfare on our freezer, so there would be no such thing as like a tenderloin that was going to make it to that that <laughs> part that part of the year. You know, he who eats the most, or he who he he who eats the fastest eats the mostest, is what my buddy's dad used to say. And uh, you know, I'll just because the the size of them roast will typically be the last thing in there and often that is because we've gotten into warmer months and i want to save that roast for a uh you know cold fall day when the hunting season's just about to approach or it's just starting and i haven't gotten a deer yet or who knows you know we could be in the middle of october or it could be getting to be halloween and uh i don't have a deer yet you know, when you're into those fall cold months and I want a good, I want a good roast in the crock pot. So oftentimes I will, I guess, uh, you know, I'll strategically hold on to a roast for, for that. But, uh, it always seems just because of the labor that's involved that the ribs will often, uh, I'll have, a, uh, I'll put a set of ribs in there in the fall and they might not get eaten for a year and a half. You know, that that's happened on a few occasions just because the summer comes around and you get busy and don't have like a Sunday to commit to doing ribs and deer ribs take quite a bit of time. It's not exactly. cra- It's not crazy bad, but I mean, it's it's a process to, to do them and do them right. I mean, it's it's worth it every time after I get done. I'm like, dude, I could eat those two to three days a week. Every day of the week, I could eat deer ribs and fantastic when they're done right. 
but so those are the couple things I think that end up lasting the, you know, the, the longest in there. Yeah, I'm with you. The The ribs are my, my white whale. Like I always try to figure out there's got to be a better way to eat these. There's got to be a better way to make it more efficient to somehow get the bones out or the, you know, the rib bone out and just have the sheet of meat. And yeah, I'm still, it's, it's one of those things I think I'm going to keep playing with and it's going to, it's going to be one of those things that, yeah, it does take about eight months of just sitting in the freezer for me to finally get an epiphany. Like, all right, we're going for this. We're going to try this out. And then yeah, two days to figure out what I'm trying to do. So no, it's good. Real, real quick. Um, I'm just going to say, uh, on those ribs, the way that I do them, it's not, it's not too awful. I mean, there's a lot of hours involved, but there's plenty of walk away time, you know, cause I use a crock pot. So I just cut my ribs up and, uh, well, I dry rub them with whatever, whatever you're into, you know, you can do ribs a million different ways, but I like to pull mine out of the freezer, um, dry rub them and let them sit for a day in the fridge, you know, dry rub them, let soak that rub in real good. And then I just cut them up so that they fit uh, into the uh, into the crock pot, actually, almost like the size of like a, uh, if you could imagine like a Mc, whatever those McRib, you know, whatever that thing that McDonald's that replicates like a rib, like a patty. I, I do like kind of small sizes where there might only be like two or three rib bones in there. Yeah. And then there may be only like four or five inches long. So the reason I do that is because I can fit a bunch of those into the crock pot. And then uh, I'll do just a beef broth, a uh, mix of beef broth and water and slow cook those things until they are just, uh, you know, to where you got to be careful moving them around because they'll, they'll fall apart. They do better once they cool off. I, I figured that out the hard way. If you, you just grab turn, a bone and just whoop, there she goes. Dude. Yeah. It's ridiculous. You blow on the things and they come apart. Right. So if you turn that crock pot off and let that cool down, they'll, they'll firm up. And then uh, I like to take those and just throw them on the uh, barbecue, kind of char them up a little bit, get some texture on them, and then brush them down with the barbecue sauce. They're, they're stupid good. I mean, they are stupid good. And they don't leave you feeling like a disgusting human after you get done. I mean, you eat a, a, a slab of baby back pork ribs and there's just so much fat and grease in there. Like, Dude, I, I love fatty meats, and uh, I'm a, a big fan of that. But, uh, you know, there's a limit. <laughs> and you get done eating, uh, you know, a bunch of bacon, or I feel like you eat a bunch of pork ribs. And it just kind of sits in your gut uh, and is not the best source of energy. Like, right. Right. when you have a pile of deer ribs, you don't have that. You're just like man, it's just, uh, there's fat in there and all that material. I know, you know, it's funny if you took a pair, a set of ribs and you just threw them on, like, you know, on a grill and then pull them, you do, you, you, I don't even know if our teeth could handle pulling them apart. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it would be labor intense to say the least, but you break those things down in a crock pot and then let them refirm and then, and, and hit them on the grill. Dude, there's something special. And, uh, it's, uh, it's one thing that got away from me this year is that when I took my deer to the butcher, I forgot to say, Hey, I'd like to have my ribs, you know, and that's just something that they wouldn't normally do. 
um, for most customers. But I'd uh, catch myself on the second one, like, hey, about those ribs. I like those. So cut those off of there for me, okay? Yeah. And I like how you cut sure. them small too, because you do, you do, you just need, I mean, it really is like an appetizer piece at that point. Um, the late, great, I shouldn't say the late, great, he's still alive. Why did I just say that? Anyway, Hank Shaw, uh, I love his quote. I was actually at a dinner that he was putting on and somebody posed the question of how do you portion things? And his response was just, uh, he hit the nail right on the head. He's like, when I portion things, I want them, their last bite to be like, I need more of this. But at the right. same time, the dish is done. He goes, that's how I keep people coming back uh, to my dishes. It's like when I portion it, I want them one bite away from like, I need more than that, more than of this. And at that point, it's gone. It's a beautiful thing that you got to see, but now it's over. And that's all you think about at that point. He plays a mind game with it. But I was like, when you cut those ribs up that size, it's like, that's the perfect thing to bring to a barbecue because what are they going to be talking about after all the food's packed up? How they only got one section of your awesome ribs. That's what they're going to talk about. Yeah, I think that's the way to do it. And you can be a total caveman about it too. I mean, I just fresh saws all blade. You know, I like 18, 18 uh, teeth per inch. Uh, it's aggressive enough, but not too aggressive that you're going to get a bunch of bone fragments. And I'll just rip rip them right down the center uh one or two cuts i think two cuts works best you know on a bigger animal is if you cut them in thirds vertically and then you just take a knife and go in between every third or fourth bone you know depending on uh what end of the rib you're at and how big an animal that that was that can vary but yeah you're basically just trying to break them down into pieces where you can fit as many pieces as possible into just a crock pot and then do your uh you know, do your, do your crack pot thing, break them down and then fire them up on the grill and you do a mustard mop. I've done that. Uh, I like to spray them down. I mix, I get a little spray bottle. I mean, you can get it generically anywhere, like a hardware store, just a clean brand new spray bottle, right? Um, wash it out, soap and water. I like to fill it 50, 50 with a mixture of apple juice and apple cider vinegar. And, uh, I'll throw those ribs on the smoker or um just off off of direct heat and put them in there and throw some smoke at them and then just uh dust them with that you know with that apple cider vinegar um mop i'll hit them with those a couple times and then if i want to throw them over some direct fire just to kind of firm them up and give them some texture i'll do that but you can just get them absolutely perfect and then like i said you can do a mustard mop or uh, a barbecue sauce or you can just you don't even need that i mean you dry rub them to begin with you know so they're they're just they're going to be excellent they're just excellent all the way through and uh, i'll be honest with you dude as a contractor somebody that drives a lot and is always looking for healthy food options if you if you know you go with a mustard mop and not like a high sugary barbecue sauce i mean dude that's some serious power food and if you don't have them covered in a bunch of stuff man you can literally drive safely down the highway and instead of eating a candy bar you can be eating a slab of deer ribs um you're really doing something special you know exactly i like that switch up going with going with the protein package there of the ribs as opposed to the snickers that ain't gonna get mm -hmm. you far. there you go well kevin this has been a good warm-up because we've come to the crescendo of uh 
of our talk tonight. This is our two-dish breakdown. What I'm going to do is I basically give you two dishes, uh, the criteria for, for each one, and then you got to lay out what you're going to do for that particular dish. So the ribs don't count. That was a good warm-up. That was a good softball pitch there. That was a slow pitch. That was a big high arcer. Now we're getting, to right. some, we're getting to some fast pitch uh, softball here. We're talking about a family favorite venison dinner, something that you're going to put together midweek, say on a Wednesday, uh, that's a staple in your household that's beloved by the kids and the wife. You know, what are you putting together? Time crunch. You got, you know, bedtime coming up soon already at that point. What uh, what are you putting together for a family midweek dinner? I feel like you already know how I'm going to answer this in your heart. But I'm just going to go ahead and say it, dude. You know I'm going all in on venison tacos. Oh, man. I was thinking spaghetti, but tacos was number two. I love it. Okay. I love it. All right. I'm going tacos. Talk to me about tacos. Well, spaghetti is not so great on a super hot day. It's just not. Um, tacos are good all year, dude. can be 30 degrees below zero outside. Tacos are awesome. You know, you can do all different kinds of twists, little twists on tacos. You only have to make them the same way every time. I feel like, yeah, you can do spaghetti differently, but it's going to end up being spaghetti. Right. You know, um, yeah, dude, we're going to go, we're going to go venison tacos because you can do that all year. And we do that all year. There's not a lot of prep. I mean, you're brown and a pound of meat, you know, you pull a, that's a big thing about how venison is for us and where maybe I feel like sometimes people that haven't gotten to been doing this for a long time. It's like a kind of a learned thing is like how you're going to, how you're going to use your venison and how, what different things you're going to do. Is it going to be practical? Like you're, if it's um, not convenient, you're you're not going to use it as often. So the practicality of it is a huge thing for us. And tacos is just one of those things where, you know, you're literally walking in the freezer, pulling out a pound of ground venison. You're putting it in the microwave on defrost for the one minute for or whatever, one pound auto defrost setting. And then I just let it kind of rest in there. You know, I might do that an hour before or when I get home, we're not going to cook dinner for an hour. You know, I'll just pull that thing out, throw it in there. Then when uh, everybody's ready to basically sit down for dinner, might have uh, a beer or a glass of wine, depends, might, might not. And, uh, you know, depending on what time of the year it is, it might be a founder's porter or it could be, uh, you know, it could be a Modelo with a, with a lime because it's 90 degrees out and it's July. You know, so that's why tacos are going to be my go-to thing is because you can, you can do them all year and you can do all different kinds of twists on them with, you know, you can, we do nachos too, not just tacos. Uh, we'll do nachos. And I just bought this little thing. It's like a bowl maker. So you throw the tortilla in it. It's like a press and it makes, you know, like a little baked tortilla bowl. Oh, and then no you can way. fill that. That's slick. Yeah, man. Oh yeah. Yeah, dude. It's pretty awesome. Um, I, I went back and forth at the store. I'm going to be honest with you. I went past it and I was like, are we going to use that? Do we need that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we do. We do need that. I need a little taco bowl maker in my life. 
And so uh, I'm going to say it's a great investment because you can do all different kinds of things with it. You can make uh, make uh, flour ones and throw eggs and bacon and cheese and stuff in there. You can do corn ones and throw best, all the, you know, it's like a little taco bowl, basically, right? That's what they are. So, um, but yeah, lots of fresh ingredients, cilantro, lime, cheese, sour cream, salsas, taco sauces, hot sauces, fresh jalapenos, dude, you name it. And I mean, you know, obviously you can go, go outside of venison, do, uh, you know, perch tacos, love, love fish tacos, man. Absolutely love them, especially with fresh lake perch, but I know we're going to, I know we're sticking on venison here, but, uh, yeah, tacos are going to be my go-to dude, especially with the, with the kids and the cleanup and, uh, it's healthy, you know, it's, uh, it's a good filling meal where you like, you know, it's not just like you ate a salad, but at the same point in time, you don't, you know, you don't feel like uh, you ate a Thanksgiving dinner and that you basically have to make it to a couch and take a nap. You know, you can go about your, your day feeling good, your evening feeling good. So it's a good, healthy option. Um, you know, if I eat spaghetti all the time at the, at the rate that I eat spaghetti, when I eat it, you know, I probably gain a hundred pounds. <laughs> the load of carbs there. Yeah. That you got Dude, I love spaghetti. I mean, <laughs> I, I absolutely love venison spaghetti. I like making it. I love making it like super cold weather, you know, middle of the winter, just crap weather. And you want a good comfort food, dude, a venison spaghetti with a couple back here. We are back at, with, at the porters again, dude. But founder's porter with some venison spaghetti. I mean, man, that's where dream, that's the kind of thing dreams are made of. It is. I am glad you said tacos, though, because um, I did. I forgot to reference this earlier when you guys came up with a film. That was 2018, two years ago. You came out with The Forest. Yeah. Yeah. A line that stuck with me was it's the scene at that point you are hanging out uh at this point it's uh deer camp and you guys are in the you're in some little makeshift garage the tin garage there and you're you're off to the side one of your buds is cooking and the whole topic of that conversation you're talking about tacos and the the microphone picks up the distinct uh phrase yeah one uh one pound of venison makes 10 tacos and you said that with such conviction like that has stuck with me since the debut you had over here at Grand Rapids I was just kind of like really is it is it 10 tacos and I as we're making tacos like I'm counting like how many did how many did my boy have I've, I've lost count of how many he had I, I certainly I had I think at least four but I think we got more out of that but I just as definitive as you were I was like it must it must be true you must be able to get 10 10 tacos per one pound you know, I have the, uh, you know, it's in the, uh, the eye of the beholder, how many you want, you, you could, you know, you could be, a uh, a savage and make a one pound taco. You, you really could do it. You know, um, you could probably take and make quarter pound tacos. I was thinking about that today. You know, it, it depends on what size tortilla you use, you know, but if you use the smaller tortillas and you're big on fresh ingredients, I think it's reasonable to think that you could make uh, 10, you know, pretty decent tacos with uh, a pound of ground venison. I don't know if it would stretch farther than that, but to be honest with you, it was, I think it was just, uh, it was easy for the math 
and uh, it was a conversation. It wasn't a, as maybe the, you um, you heard it in a different way, but now that we're talking about it, it wasn't so much that I was saying it with uh, conviction. Is that we, I believe we were in a a, a stout debate, like gotcha. hey, can it make ten? <laughs> and then I'm thinking, you know, like well, if one pound makes ten tacos, that makes the math real easy, you know, because you just just uh just divide it up man 10 times and i think i think i think it's pretty reasonable gotcha. i really do it's what i think it's a healthy taco at a tenth of a pound so i, I for some I reason so. that stuck with me and i was just like as, as we've been going along as i've been going along life and all of a sudden taco night like did we get did we get 10 tacos out of that i've, I've i don't know if we did or not hey it'll be a uh, listener home <laughs> There you go. If you can make, See, you know, if you can make ten tacos, re- please yeah, re- email us. Like, <laughs> I don't think that's the way to go about it. I think it should be six tacos, dude. I'll hear your argument. You could be right. You know. All right. This one gets a little bit more detailed. This is going to be date night, and I am going to open it up to wild game across the board because I do know that. Uh, some couples that some love venison, some not so much, some like fish as opposed to uh, or turkey or whatever it is. So I'm going to open it up at this point to wild game. And the kids are at the sitters. They're over at not on Papa's or grandma and grandpa's. And it's just you and the wife. And you have decided to cook for her for this date night. What are you making that's going to make this date night go just right? Hmm. Well, it's this the uh, it's gonna involve venison tenderloin. And so, you know, now you actually got me rethinking too. Maybe I do need to start thinking about holding back on some tenderloin because uh it's definitely would be the staple food um I feel like that we would have if we were gonna have a nice date night because uh we're gonna involve a bottle or two of wine and I don't think anything pairs like that pairs with it. Cast iron skillet or off the barbecue. Um, actually, lately, I've really been enjoying using that uh, that cast iron skillet. I've never had a real good one, and I got a good one now. And uh, you can do some cool things with it. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to probably start off with, like, uh, some nice cheeses and crackers, little charcuterie board I, I think people say that differently but that's how i say it gotcha. i don't know how i don't Sounds know how good. it's that prop yeah <laughs> you know what i'm board, talking about that's where i go i go with the smorgas google it <laughs> uh but yeah we'll we'll have some foods like that that we'll kind of pick at while we cook and uh to be honest with you if i'm on a date if i'm on a date with my wife and uh the kids are gone like i don't want to eat a bunch of food that's going to make me feel gross and sleepy I want to eat a meal that makes me feel good. I'm probably going to stay up with my wife and have a couple drinks, um, be adults, do adult things. So I'm not trying to like eat a giant pizza and, <laughs> and put on a movie and I'll like say, fall asleep. You got to work out here in a minute. So, you know, without getting too detailed, uh, people can use their imagination. I, I want to feel good. I want to eat a, and, and honestly, we eat that way. We like to eat that way in general. We like to eat so that would feel good after the meals. Wild game, obviously, is uh, a 
huge part of why we love that kind of food because it is so healthy and it does give you that feeling. You do a lot of different things with it. But on that particular night, I'd be looking to do some steaks or uh, a tenderloin or like a filet, something like that. That pairs real nice. Well, my wife and I are both big fans of dry red wine. So Cabernet, Pinot Noir, um, you know, a good, a, a real good Cabernet just pairs outstanding with red meat and uh we honeymoon in maine so we kind of both have uh an affiliation with blueberries so if i can get the uh, wild maine like blueberry jam i'll do a, a reduction and and you can do it with blackberries or, or you know basically any um I, I don't know if you can do it with any kind of fruit but something sweet you know that you can do a reduction with and uh, blueberries is the one that, you know, I would choose personally because that sweetness just offsets that salty meat. And then you got the red wine going. I mean, dude, you're, you know, you're talking dirty to me. Like yeah. this is, uh, this is some <laughs> serious stuff that's going on. And uh, I love to make like a mashed cauliflower. You know, it's kind of just a spinoff, obviously mashed potatoes, but same thing here. If I'm trying to have something that's going to just leave me really feeling good. Um. I'll do uh, mashed cauliflower and put a bunch of butter in there, heavy cream. And then I use one of those packets of ranch, like dressing seasoning that you would make uh, ranch dressing with. And I'll put that in there and some salt and pepper. And I mean, dude, it's, it's, it's so good. Like, it's just a perfect thing to like kind of clear your palate and then go back to like the wine and the steak. Um, I love to do grilled mushrooms and onions with garlic you know, have that there, have that going. Um, I like to also make like sometimes like a zip sauce with horseradish where it's just, you know, I'm not from, know if you're familiar with the action, with the zip sauce, but it's, it's kind of just, uh, I don't know how to explain it. You've had it, right? Yeah. I've, well, I've done the horseradish. Um, I don't think I've had zip necessarily, but, um, I know, yeah, it, it something about the, the zip sauce, as far as you're talking about, they've, diluted the horsey sauce a little bit yeah there's a brand called zip sauce and it's um you melt it with butter and it's almost like an odd jus. i guess that's oh, a good way really? to to say wh what it is so uh you can i like to take that and mix it with some horseradish and make like a uh you know i don't i don't know what the proper term of that is you can kind of just pour it on the plate and rub the steak around on there and it's that's outstanding too and but uh blueberry reduction uh is also just outstanding for mushrooms and onions but yeah that's that's what i'm going to go with um that that's going to be the the game plan and yeah man if you're like a young man that's yet to uh land yourself a woman that you want to marry pay attention to this conversation and don't forget it like learn how to cook these meals and uh these other dudes that, you know, know how to throw some stuff in a microwave or don't know how to cook a, you know, a meal. Um, it's just something that women pay attention to. Like, and if you can cook, it's, it's a human thing, right? If, if, if you can cook a good meal, like some, something really good that other people can't cook, like people are just going to want to be around you. 
you know? Exactly. You're never, and you're then, always going to be invited to someone's party or backyard barbecue because they're like, hey, could you make that whatever you did last time or surprise them with something new? You're always going to have an open invitation. Yep. It's a true story, dude. And uh, whatever, it's one of those things that I think women appreciate and, and respect. Everybody likes a good meal. And uh, yeah, man, that's, uh, you know, I, I feel blessed that I get put in the opportunity to have, you know, have the ability to do that, to have a beautiful wife that I can cook a meal with and enjoy it. And then you, you know, you went out and you got that deer, you brought that deer home. And uh, it's, it's a real family value. You know, that hunting is uh, even my wife, as we get a little bit older with the kids and, you know, she sees how much time I spend doing this. It's, you know, we're open to doing things that, uh, you know, it's not necessarily where every time I go, I want to drag her out with me, but, you know, sometimes I want her to come and sometimes I just want to be alone or sometimes I just want to take my son. Um, but, you know, to kind of use that as the platform to navigating my life and keeping me mentally sane, going out and doing that activity and then actually getting deer and coming home and having a meal you know, with, with my wife and my kids and everything, it just, it means the world to me, man. I, like I said, I said it, I'll say it again. I feel bad for people that don't, that don't do it. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, man, it's a special thing. I'm glad we got to sit, sit down and, and talk about this that night, but I hope, I hope that, uh, I hope it didn't get too graphic for you there with the date night conversation, uh, and, uh, that we kept around the rails pretty good, but, uh, that's I'm passionate about this stuff and that, that is exactly how I think I would handle it. Well, good. And no, totally on the rails right where we wanted to be. I mean, if, if ultimately we're going to, we're going to talk about it, we're, we're basically talking about our passions. We're talking about our family. We're talking about our kids, our spouse that we've basically said, we're going to spend the rest of our life with and the activity and the freedom that we get by going and pursuing uh, these critters. It's, it's it's something that we're so passionate about, and I think that's what you've done tonight is really just kind of spill your guts and say, hey, I'm passionate about all of this, and there's a lot of reasons why. Let me lay those out. So, no, Kevin, you've done an exquisite job of doing that. Where can my listeners find more about you, more about your podcast? This is like your 30 seconds. How do we How do we figure out more about Deer Hunter Podcast? DeerHunterPodcast.com is our website. It's uh, that simple. DeerHunterPodcast.com on the world interweb. And they'll link you up to basically everything that we've got going on. We have some content. Um, there's some interesting stuff on our YouTube channel. Uh, our film that you mentioned is up there. It's also available on our website via DVD so that you can buy it, have it at your your friend's hunting camp. Uh, we'd love to you know, love to see, love to see it find its place in the hunting camps, which is what we made it for so that people could enjoy it for years to come. That's why we chose to do the DVD. So the DVD is available there uh, on our website. And then, like I said, there's some other stuff. There's a lot of podcasts on our YouTube channel. There's some scouting workshop stuff on our YouTube channel, the film. There's a couple of little trailers for some other films that, um, that we've been involved with. So there's some different content on our YouTube channel, um, Instagram. I really don't do uh, Facebook anymore, to be honest with you. I just Facebook's a bad platform for hunters. 
I felt like uh, every time I was going on there, even all the forums and everything, for whatever reason, the crowd that uh, Facebook draws, it's just, it's a terrible place for hunters to hang out. So I actually don't interact on Facebook anymore, which, you know, I feel like if uh, people want to get in contact uh, and I've had guys do it, they know that when I said that, that, you know, they sent me phone numbers and emails and I'll just put it in my phone, you know, we'll stay in touch and we'll stay in touch through this uh, podcast. But the, yeah, you can get the podcast weekly on every, you know, every podcast app, essentially Spotify. Spotify is probably the best place if, or iTunes, either way. Or you can go right to uh, our page and go through our, our website and go to the RSS feed and you can download that. There's multiple ways to listen to the show. And then I spend uh, some time on Instagram. That's where I visually share the show um, through the stories and through the photos. And I, other than that, that's, that's about it. Gearhunterpodcast.com. Sweet, sweet. Well, Kevin, hold on for just a second. I'm going to send our listeners on out. Folks, man, if you ever wanted to just have a session where you're just your fist pump in the air and you're just saying, man, I agree with that so much. This was definitely that episode where, as I said, just a little bit earlier ago, basically this episode just kind of wound up being about the passions that we have, be it our family, be it um, the kids that we're raising or even the food that we're bringing to the plates that we're end up going to be nourishing our friends and family. It was just a combination of like why we do this and why does it get us so jazzed up? So, folks, as you go from this, realize that we have passions, and I want you to fully go after those. And as you're communicating with the community around you, have some flexibility. Create that relationship. But however you end up going about that, always keep your knives shut.